the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Faith is our privilege. And as we get into 2 Timothy, you're going to begin to see that 2 Timothy is a picture of faith when it comes to Paul. And we see all that Paul endured and how he is faithful to look to the Lord in everything. And we say, wow, what faith Paul must have had. Now, I will tell you that if Paul could hear you say that, he would be livid. Because this isn't about Paul's faith, it's about Paul's God. Paul just trusted God to be who he is. To be who Paul had come to know him to be. God wasn't creating anything new for Paul. God was being God. And Paul was in on it. So Paul wrote 2 Timothy as he was awaiting his execution at the hands of the Romans. And that must have really chapped the Jews that tried to get him killed off for years. And when it comes down to it, they had nothing to do with it. So he's awaiting his execution at the hands of the Romans. This book, is our letter, has been called Paul's Swan Song. And it is, in fact, the last letter that Paul wrote. And when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, you will recall, he had just been released from his first Roman imprisonment. And it was then that he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. And Paul writes 2 Timothy, sitting in one of the most notorious prisons in the known world. It was called, and I may be mispronouncing this. No, he was in Mamertine Prison. Mamertine Prison. And it's actually still around. They've made a tourist attraction out of it and, of course, built several shrines around it. So, but you can, go, you can go down there to Rome when you just happen to be in Rome. You can go by and see it. It was originally created as a cistern for a spring that was running underneath in the floor. And they had like three levels and that spring would run through the second level. And then they made a dungeon out of it, and the third level was the bottom level, and prisoners were lowered through an opening at the top of the dungeon, which was about the size of a manhole, a little larger than a manhole. And they would be lowered into a stone room that was dug out, and it was about 30 feet in diameter, 
and they were lowered down in there. They would keep between 30 and 35 prisoners down in there. And there was nothing down in there. There was no sanitation, no beds, nothing. You were just down there with 30 to 35 of the meanest criminals that Rome had. A dark hole for the most part. It's an interesting thing. You're down in there, and they sent you down there to await execution. I figured by the time they called you up, you were glad for it. But they got their food and their water lowered down to them while they sat down in there. It also had a big, heavy door off to one side of this dungeon. And the reason for that door is that what ran alongside of that prison was the sewers for the city of Rome. And they had an interesting way of dealing with overcrowding. Whenever they had more prisoners to put in there and no room for them, they would simply open the heavy door, allow them to be flooded, and drown the prisoners and wash them out in the sewer. That's how they handled it. So you can see that this was, even though Paul had been in prison many times, this was no doubt the worst prison he had ever stayed in. It is believed that both Paul and Peter had been in prison there. And Paul was no stranger to prison. He had been in prison in Jerusalem, Caesarea, Philippi, and now Rome for the second time. You remember the first time he was actually just under house arrest And in that house arrest, it was really productive for him because he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But he got released from that. He had been acquitted of the charges that were against him during that first Roman imprisonment, and he was set free. And it was at this time that he decided to go and visit some of the churches that he had discipled, that he had planted, and some of the people that he knew. And he met up with Timothy, and they traveled to the first church, was the church of Ephesus. And we've been reading about that confrontation. He installed Timothy as the pastor in order for Timothy to deal with the false teachers that had infected that church and to teach truth to its members who were living in carnality. So... Upon leaving Ephesus, Paul continues his missionary journey, and it's believed that he was arrested in Neapolis. Now, the reason for his arrest was that Rome at that time had an insane emperor named Nero. And Nero, it's said, it is said, had an ambition to rebuild Rome. So, in an effort to effect some urban renewal, he set fire to the whole business. And literally burned the city of Rome. Well, he got a great backlash from that. The uh, contempt of the populace rose up. And he decided that he'd better avoid that bullet. So what he did was say, it wasn't me, it was the Christians. Christians did that. So now there's this ramped up effort to catch, persecute, and execute everyone who names the name of Christ. And it was a, an aggressive and cruel persecution. This was why Paul was arrested. He was caught up in that sweep. And that's why they took him to Rome and threw him in prison. It is also why Paul found himself alone. 
Because of the intensity of that persecution, Christians were headed for the hills and they wanted nothing to do with Paul. They were hiding. So, part of this letter, what makes this letter so remarkable, is that as we read it, we recognize where Paul is. We recognize what kind of pressure he's under. We recognize that this is a man who is literally, he knows he's at the end of his life. He has spent the entirety of his Christian life serving Christ with abandon. Taking the gospel wherever he went. Literally being the mouthpiece and the articulator of the new covenant. Discipling and growing people all along the way. And as you know about Paul's life, he met with one unfortunate thing after another. But he never saw it that way. And he doesn't see it that way now. You can tell by his writing that you know, he knew this was his last letter. He is awaiting arraignment where I think he expects the sentence of death by execution. And at some point, Paul would be taken from the prison and walked somewhere along the Appian Way to a place where he would be beheaded and ushered into the physical presence of his intimate friend and Lord, our Jesus. Our text today will be 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And if you have your Bibles, and you should, please stand with me as I read the text. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle, special messenger, personally chosen representative of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace, inner calm, and spiritual well-being from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I worship and serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, and as I recall your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I remember your sincere and unqualified faith, the surrendering of your entire self to God and in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness, a faith which first lived in the heart of your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am confident that it is in you as well. That is why I remind you to fan into flame the gracious gift of God, that inner fire, the special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. For God did not Give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. Abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. God bless his word. You may be seated. All right. In the first two verses, we obviously have his greeting which we'll talk about in a moment. But first, I want you to note what he is not writing. It's as powerful and as supernatural as what he wrote. We live in an age which I would define as the age of the feeler. 
we are inundated with all kinds of messages and information that are designed to evoke emotion from us. And it's hard to imagine, given the age we live in, that Paul would not take full advantage of this opportunity to inform his readers of all that he was forced to endure in this place, this cruel place, the injustice of being in prison, so on and so on. Because all of that is true. Every bit of it is true and his story to tell. But as Paul points out in exclusion of these details, for Paul it's just about Jesus. And that's really all he's interested in talking about. Paul had endured a lot in his ministry, but what he endured personally always illustrated the supernatural grace and mercy of God that upheld him. And that's true of us, isn't it? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses uh, 23 and so on, he writes concerning uh, the Jews. He said, are they the self-proclaimed servants of Christ? I am speaking as if I were out of my mind. I am more so, for I exceeded them with far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, and often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent adrift in the sea. Many times on journeys exposed to dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, strangers from my own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, danger among those imposing, those posing as believers. In labor and hardship, often unable to sleep, in hunger and thirst, often driven to fasting for the lack of food, in cold and exposure without adequate clothing. Besides those external things, there is the daily inescapable pressure of my concern for all the churches, who is weak, and I do not feel his weakness, who is made to sin, and I am not on fire with sorrow and concern. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that reveal my weakness, the things by which I am made weak in the eyes of my opponents. Does it sound like he wants to identify with his suffering? Does it sound like his suffering is his cause to play the victim? No. Even in recounting his suffering, Paul does so to illustrate the surpassing greatness of his God. He would boast in the frailty of his flesh in order that the strength of God may be known. Now, Paul discovered in such a great degree, how much bigger and greater his God was than most of us will ever know because we won't have to trust on that level. We won't have to believe to that degree. Do you see why God counts faith as a privilege? And here's the thing. If we don't operate in faith in the easy times... If we don't operate in the faith, waking up on vacation in some exotic location, knowing you're not going to do anything but lay on the beach and enjoy the sunshine in the local culture, do you wake up in faith saying, Father, I can't handle this day without you. I can't take one step without you. 
You are the strength of my life. And the fact that I can even enjoy this vacation is because I have your life in me. And now I'll know your creation the way it was intended to be known. Now I'll enjoy my time with my wife or my family in the way that I was meant to enjoy it. In the presence of my God. In the pleasure of my God. Faith is needed in every aspect of our living. So, here he is at the end of his ministry. He is now in his upper 60s. And he spent the whole of his Christian life in service of Christ, spreading the gospel throughout Asia Minor and the known world. Think of all that he saw. Think of the countless lives that were redeemed because of his preaching and his teaching. Healed delivered and made whole. Think of all the churches that he founded and discipled. Think of the revelation of Christ that so many people witnessed in the life of Paul. Yet, apart from Luke and a few visitors, he's alone. Completely alone. No one rallied to his defense. They've all distanced themselves from him because of the persecution. And he writes about that in chapter 4. We're going to look at it. And the obvious exclusion of the much-deserved call for sympathy is hard to comprehend given the enormity of his suffering, isn't it? One comment I read said, you know, Paul may have been literally at the end of his life, but Paul wasn't without ambition. He was not ready to retire. He was abandoned to the will of God. Now, being abandoned to the will of God is not a place we should get to just before death. We need to be abandoned to the will of God in every moment that we live. How do we know someone when we do not trust or seek to know what they value, what they desire for us? The will. Paul does not express bitterness over his circumstances. There's no, woe is me. He goes forward, not in the hope of deliverance or in the determination to fight for justice, but in confidence in his God. He wasn't focusing on his suffering or his pending death because he knew and had embraced by faith that his life is spiritual, not physical. How much hope can be found in a dark, filthy hole surrounded by wicked men? Was there anything in his surroundings that would inspire faith and hope? Really? You wouldn't think so, would you? Paul's focus was on God. His ears were not listening to the cries of cursing men. He was hearing the Spirit's voice. Now get this. He was hearing the Spirit of God dictate to him. Ministry that you and I are reading today. Now was that out of touch? You know, I honestly believe I've spent a lot of time distracted by my circumstances when God is communicating so much, when His desire is for me to know Him fully, not in part, not in little pieces. It's not like that giant jigsaw puzzle you buy. He wants an intimate relationship with us. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable. And I can tell you what he was looking at. That's why he wasn't so wrapped up in the desperateness of his situation. 
Let the hardships of life enable you to see the glory of your God with clarity. That's part of what we should be about. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.18, and I've read it to you many times. He says, and I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center and core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with light by the Holy Spirit, so that you will know and cherish the hope the divine guarantee, the confident expectation to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, God's people. And I believe that Paul, when he wrote that, had in his mind his encounter on the road to Damascus, his encounter with Jesus. He was healed of spiritual blindness. And his eyes were flooded with light. And it physically blinded him. He could not see the world for many days thereafter. But then when the scales dropped from his eyes, he only had eyes for Jesus. Though the world was visible to him, it was not his life. And he refused to live it on those terms. See... He has a full confidence in the promise of God. He is waiting in anticipation. He is cherishing a hope that cannot be diminished. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, special messenger, personally chosen representative of Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace, inner calm, and spiritual well-being from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, look at this. Remember where Paul is. Do you see what he's writing? Paul begins by making a confident assertion. Don't think for a minute, as Paul sat down in that dark, cruel prison that he was in, Abandoned by all his friends, surrounded by death and awaiting death. Don't think for a minute that the enemy didn't whisper in Paul's ear. Are you sure you're in the plan of God? Or am I sure I'm in the plan of God? I mean, I must have blown it somewhere. Now I'm left to die alone. God must not be with me in this. How did I miss him? I can't believe that I'm in the plan of God. Have you ever gotten there? Some of you are lying. It's the truth. I get there all the time. I get to thinking what I'm going to do and how God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And he doesn't hold up his end. And I turn around and say, I must have missed God somewhere. I must not be in the plan of God. Because if God had planned this, it would have happened this way. Oh, who am I calling God here? Huh? Paul had every reason to doubt every physical and temporal reason to doubt. He says very clearly, he doesn't flinch, but he boldly asserts in present tense who he is. Not who he was, but who he is. And he says this, from that dark hole in chains, Condemned to death, surrounded by filthy men and filth, he declares, I am Paul, an apostle, 
A special messenger who was personally chosen by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By the will of God, according to the promise of life, not death. The promise of life, I'm living in the promise of life. I have life. And I'm declaring it to whoever's reading this. You're not receiving this from Paul, the miserable victim who's laying in a dungeon somewhere, forgotten by all of those he served. You're not hearing from Paul, the one who's been cast aside by God, whose ministry has been deserted by God. You're not hearing from Paul, who is about to be destroyed and all that he stands for go to waste. You're not hearing from that Paul. You're hearing from Paul the Apostle. I stand in who God says I am. And in fact, I'm acting in the truth of my office. I'm writing on behalf of my God and yours. His words cannot be contained in a prison or held by my chains. They are not diminished by the power of men. No, Paul's spirit was not broken. Paul's ministry continues undeterred. Paul's witness speaks through the ages and not even time can dilute it because it is the witness of the power of the glory of God. Paul affirms it. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, You can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.